The time has finally come. Get ready to open Upper Deck Series 1 and elevate your trading card collection with young gun rookies like Brock Faber, Luke Hughes, Marco Casper, and Matthew Nyes, just to name a few. Be on the lookout for a new one-of-one -one base set parallel called Outburst Gold. Don't walk, run to your local hobby shop, or get it from UpperDeckStore.com today. Welcome to the Hockey News pregame show. I'm Ryan Kennedy. That's Michael Trakos. We are brought to you by Upper Deck and BetMGM. And Mike, let's start off in Vancouver. Quinn Hughes, 30 points in 19 games. He leads the NHL. He is also only the third defenseman ever to get to 30 points within 20 games. Bobby Orr and Al McInnes are the only two others that have done that. So I ask you, <laughs> Norris Trophy... Of course, but is Quinn Hughes the Hart Trophy front runner at this point? He's he's on a short list for me, okay. And you mentioned the Norris, hundred percent. I think he's sort of running away with that uh, trophy right now. But you know, the thing about the Hart Trophy is, if you're not a forward, if you're a goaltender or a defenseman, you really have to go well and above and beyond everyone else. And so Quinn Hughes, I guess you could say he's in that category where you know. When you're leading the NHL in scoring, yeah, um, you're kind of above and beyond everyone else. Right. The problem is he's not alone in Vancouver. Like you've got Elias Pettersson who's in the top five. You've got JT Miller who's in the top three in scoring. You've got Thatcher Demko who's mm. arguably running away with the Vezina right now, or at least gonna get a lot of votes for the Vezina. So it's not a one-man show in Vancouver, and I think that's where it becomes difficult because mm. again, the Hart Trophy is not most valuable player. It's most valuable to your team. Right, right. You take away Quinn Hughes, you still got Pedersen, you still got Miller, you still got Demko. For me, he's going to get a lot of votes for obviously the Norris and the Hart, but who I'm looking at right now as, you know, my Hart Trophy candidate and maybe number one candidate is David Pasternak. Ah, okay. Because you've got a Boston team that no one expected to be this good. And Pasternak is one point below Hughes in uh, points. He's got 29. And among goal scorers, he's in the top five. I guess he's tied now. Uh, he's got 12 goals. But really, that Boston team looks a lot different if you take Pasternak out. Mm. They do have Jeremy Swayman, who's having a fantastic season as well. So he, he, he also has a goalie. <laughs> I guess you have, you have to have a goalie. If you're for sure, for sure. For me, I, and, and again, you know, we're basically a quarter of the way through the season at this point. And Quinn Hughes is going to have to sustain this, which is going to be tough. Mm -hmm. But I feel like he's got the resume where, like, and I hear what you're saying about Patterson and Miller and Demko, but he's playing like 24 and a half minutes a night. He's leading the NHL in scoring. For a, I almost look at it like the same way I look at the Calder, and you're right, like if you're gonna be a defenseman or a goalie and win that award, mm -hmm. you really have to like distinguish yourself versus forwards. And the fact that Hughes is scoring more than anybody else in the league and is in the same category as those high ranking forwards, I think that even if he's just up high in the mix there, with the amount of minutes he's playing and the fact that five on five Vancouver is scoring way more goals with him on the ice than they're giving up. I, I think he's right there. And I also think, I'll throw this out there, you know, 
Connor McDavid banged up, having a tough year. Um, you know, there's some really good players in Toronto, like Nylander, who we'll talk about uh, up next, actually, and, and even Austin Matthews, who, again, there's sort of a consortium of very good players. But with Quinn Hughes, that's like a new name for the Hart Trophy. For the past few years, it's been McDavid, Dreisaitl, Matthews, Pasternak. I kind of feel like voters will reward Quinn Hughes if he keeps up this pace. And if he's one of, let's say he's top three in NHL scoring this year, when all is said and done, I feel that the novelty of that will get him a lot of votes. Here's the thing, right? The last 23 years, one defenseman has won the Hart Trophy. It was Chris Pronger in 2000. Um, In terms of goalies, the last guy to win it was Carey Price. So it doesn't happen a whole lot. It doesn't. It's mostly... I don't know why it is, but it's mostly a forward award. Yeah, yeah. And generally, that, that's kind of how it's been. Because like, those are the flashy numbers. Well, it's also like if you're the best defenseman, you get the Norris. Right. If you're the best forward, what do you get? Mm-hmm. You only have the heart the to Art work Ross. with. <laughs> well, Which and, you and, don't And, and Quinn Hughes on. might win it now. <laughs> there you go. Like, really, it's the Selkie, I guess, is your only other award. True, true. So I almost feel like the Hart Trophy is almost kind of, like, designated to a forward. Mm. And like I said, you really have to have just an outstanding year. And Eric yeah. Carlson had that kind of year last year. Unfortunately, it was for a non-playoff team. So yeah. to your point, like, I could see Quinn Hughes getting a lot of love because if this Vancouver team ends up you know, one or two in the Pacific, and we'll see how they finish with uh, jockeying with Vegas right now for uh, the lead. He's going to get a lot of love, but again, like, Pedersen's not going to go anywhere in terms of the scoring, and I I think JT Miller is probably still going to be top 20 at least. Mm. Um, So it's going to be difficult because it's not just a one-man show. Again, I, I still think that, you know, that year that Pronger won, I don't know who else was in the mix uh, when he was on the Blues that year, but I imagine mm. it was kind of like Chris Pronger's team. Is this right. Quinn Hughes' team? Yeah, that's a fair question, fair question. All right, moving on, and I mentioned him earlier, William Nylander uh, had a great little local showing in Sweden for the Leafs at the Global Series, extended his point streak to 17 games, and of course, the backdrop of all of this is he is an unrestricted free agent this summer, and the price for William Nylander seems to be going up and up, mm-hmm. which is not great for the Leafs in terms of salary cap situation, but it is great in terms of the standings. So I ask you now, what does the next contract for William Nylander look like? And is it in Toronto? Does he take, and, and, does, and I guess further that, would he take a discount? He's not taking a discount. Fair. He took a discount the last time he signed. Yes. What was it, $6.9 million? Yes. Like, that's, that's embarrassing when you think about, like, William Nylander as a player and who yeah. also makes, like, under $7 million in the league. Right. Um, the other parts are a little harder. Like, what do you think? What, what is he worth? Is he a $12 million player? I would go, like, 11. And 11. I saw some good sort of comparisons out there where it's like, is he, is he as good as David Pasternak? I would take Pasternak. Right. So you can't have him making more than Pasternak, hypothetically. I mean, there's always different factors. The salary cap's going up. You know, I'm, you have to look at length and stuff like that. But, you know, that's sort of a consideration to me. I, I thought that was a very good point. I think it was in a Pierre Lebrun column about that. 
uh, you know, some some execs were were talking about David Pasternak. He makes eleven point two. Yeah. So I would I would prefer to have Pasternak ultimately. So for me, Nylander, I think I could certainly see eleven. I think maybe realistically, when it all comes down to it, if he sign if he resigns in Toronto and it's eight years, yeah, I bet they could get him for ten and a half. Ooh, I don't know about that. Like Tavares got eleven. Like so, but many that was years a mistake. Ago. It doesn't matter. Right. Like, Mitch Marner is getting ten point nine right now. Yeah, that's and he's going to resign in a couple of years. He's probably going to be asking for what? Matthews got thirteen point two five. So I imagine Marner probably wants to be around thirteen, maybe twelve and a half. Yeah, it, it's a difficult question. Um, no, no doubt about it. Um, the, the Leafs have a real difficult dilemma on their hands, and I, to your end, I think he gets paid. I yep. think he's going to get somewhere around 11.5 to $12 million. Okay. I don't think it's in Toronto. Yeah, and if it is in fair. Toronto, that means that a, a Mitch Marner is gone. Yeah. And, I, and I know you're saying, like, guys are coming off the books. You just, the formula can't work in the way that Toronto has got their salary structured right now, yeah. where you've got four of your forwards making the, the lion's share of the salary cap. And it has not worked in terms of playoff success so far. No, it hasn't worked. So I, I think they really, the Leafs really have to move away from that. So they, you really have to identify, okay, which two forwards are we going to pay top dollar to? Yeah. And Matthews has already been identified as one. Now the second question is, okay, is it Marner or is it Nylander? Mm. And where would you go? Because they're both wingers, <coughs> different games completely. Yeah. Uh, I'd argue that Marner provides a lot more on the penalty kill. Yep. Um, more of a playmaker. Uh, Nylander, now we're, we've seen that he can really do it all, but ultimately he's going to be a finisher. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, honestly, I think I'm leaning towards William. Yeah, I feel like Nylander, and I'd, I'd have to look the numbers up, but I feel like he's a little more consistent in terms of like playoff performance. I think he's a better playoff player. And I, I will also say this argument comes down to, for me, None of this matters if Toronto happens to win the Stanley Cup this year. I'm not saying they're favorites, but Mm -hmm. stranger things have happened. If they win it, then everything goes out the window because all of a sudden, if you're the Leafs, you say like, okay, well, we we can't afford to keep Nylander, but it's okay because we got our ring. Okay. So then it's sort of like the pressure is off. Now, if they don't win, then you really have to say like, okay, well... We're better with him in the lineup, so can we, can we make this work? But to your question, if he goes somewhere else, I was trying to think of like which teams could afford an $11 million player this summer, and there's some intriguing candidates. Would he go to Detroit? Ooh. Would he go to Anaheim? Think about a top six in Anaheim that has Zegris, McTavish, Leo Carlson, Nylander, Troy Terry. Yeah. The other one I'm kind of curious about, maybe it's too early, but would he go to Chicago? Wow. Where you've got Bedard as the, as the man, because mm-hmm. Nylander's not a number one forward, but he's a really, really good one. He's probably a number two. He could be the number two in Chicago. You still have Taylor Hall under contract. I would obviously take Nylander over Hall, but I don't know if it's a little too early for that, but the Hawks could certainly afford him. Oh, yeah. Hey, if you want to extend Alex Ovechkin's career and ensure that he is going to chase down Gretzky's record, Washington could also be an option. That's intriguing. Yeah. Obviously, William Nylander's father played for the Capitals. That's right. Um, Nylander had 
like Ovechkin and Backstrom over playing ping pong with him when he was a kid. Nice. Yeah. So, you know, he, the idea that he's going to be stuck in Toronto because he loves it here, obviously he loves it here. He, who, who wouldn't love playing in Toronto? It's the biggest market yeah. in the NHL. You get to play alongside Austin Matthews, arguably he's going to go down as one of the greatest U.S.-born players. You got Mitch Marner. He's in a great spot. Mm-hmm. He's also in a spot where he's insulated in the sense that the number one line consists of Matthews and Marner. Right. And you almost kind of like, you got to pick your poison and as a defense. And if you're picking your poison, you're going to match up against the Matthews line. Yeah. And that, te- that Tavares-Nylander line kind of goes a bit unchecked where you're going to face second-pairing defensemen, maybe not your number one checking center. So mm-hmm. th- there's a bit of an advantage there, whereas you're looking at Pasternak and... You know, you're lining up as an opposing team, and you're just like, okay, we're worried about the past in that line. Totally. So we'll see. Like, to, to your point, like, is he a number one line player? I think he is, but we haven't seen it in Toronto, really. Mm, fair enough. Uh, you mentioned Washington, and the Capitals are on fire. And I'm very intrigued by the Caps right now because if you look at the stats, They're kind of bewildering. They have one of the worst offenses in the NHL. Their shooting percentage is horrible. But they have one of the best defensive results in the (laughs) NHL, which we have not seen in Washington, I don't know, maybe ever? Like, they were never a good defensive team. Even when they won the Stanley Cup, like, they were good enough. But they had great goaltending, and they obviously had great firepower up front. So Charlie Lindgren has been excellent in net when he has played for them. Darcy Kemper and Hunter Shepard have, you know, uh, Shepard in, in particular has gotten wins. Their actual, like, numbers are just okay. But it's just like Spencer Carberry magic. <laughs> you know, first-year coach comes in. He does have some familiarity because he used to be coach of the AHL Hershey Bears, which is Washington's affiliate. So he does know some of the younger guys. Right. And obviously he, knew, he knows Rasmus Sandin from his time in Toronto. But what do we make of this Washington team? I mean, they're not the best team in the division, but they're making noise in the Metro. That's a hard division, too. It is. It, it should be the hard, like one New of the Jersey hardest Like, New Jersey is, like, suffering. The, the one thing, I, I was looking up Dylan Strom the other day, and he, he leads the team with seven goals right now. Yeah, he's the Cy Young uh, <laughs> front-runner. Seven and one, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, it's an odd team. Uh, Ovechkin really hasn't even, like, taken off yet. Yeah. Like, to your point, like, the offense really hasn't been there. It's been more of a, a defensive juggernaut. Uh, go figure, you lose Dmitry Orlov uh, at the trade deadline last year and Orlov's in Carolina, and you think that should be the, the top defensive team, and yet it's a team where you know John Carlson and Rasmus Sandin and yeah. we got Trevor Van Riemsdyk. These are, not fla- these are not like flashy or defensive you know, shutdown players. Yeah, these are not Jacob Slavin type players. No, Sandine is an offensive guy. John Carlson is more offensive than defensive. Certainly. So I don't know how it's happening. Uh, All I can say is that Metro division is not at all how I predicted it. (laughs) No. Like the the Devils are struggling right now. The Hurricanes are not, uh, well, they're tied for the Capitals, with the Capitals, but then you've got Philly up there. This is not how it's going to shake up. <laughs> this is the one division where I'm like, this, it's not going to end up this way. There's, no. somewhat, there's some where you're like, okay, Boston clearly has it. you know. But maybe Washington is, is going to be at least a wildcard team, which is probably more than I thought they'd be. Certainly for me. I, my expectations for Washington were not very high this year. 
No, I thought Washington and Pittsburgh, this was, well, Pittsburgh, I thought, were probably going to be a better team than Washington, but I thought this was going to be another year where, you know, we saw them both miss the playoffs last year, mm. and it was going to be like, yeah, this is kind of, this isn't your time anymore, boys. Yeah, like they seemed like they were like a little too old, and then, you know, with Washington, you get the injuries where it's like, hey, Nick Backstrom's back. It's like, oh, well, actually, no, he has to step aside. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's a huge loss for them because he is such a great center. But they've managed to soldier on. Thank goodness for the Columbus Blue Jackets. Bad <laughs> as always. You are exactly where we expected you to be. Uh, although I will say, I thought, I thought Philly would maybe be worse than Columbus. Oh, yeah. The, the fact that Philly is, like, a top three team right now is yeah. just bonkers. It's all credit to, like, the culture that John Tortorella has been building in Philly and, that, and the fact that GM Daniel Briere uh, supports that vision that Philly, like, they don't want a losing culture. I, I, I went to Philly earlier in the year, and Briere was telling me, like, we don't want this to be a negative place for young players to grow in. Like, we want them to be trying to get wins. We are not a tank team. Mm-hmm. Clearly, they are not a tank team because right now they are a playoff team. No, it, and it goes back to my point. Like, the worse roster that John Tadarola has, the better he is as a coach. Right. Because he can really sell that idea like, hey, boys, like, look around. There's no superstars on this team. Yeah. You really have to outwork the opposition versus when he's got, like, a Vancouver back in the day mm. or even a Rangers. It's kind of like, well, it's hard to sell blocking shots and finishing checks when you've got a team of uh, superstars. Right. And not only do you have to beat the guys on the other team, but you've got to beat the guys in your own organization because if you don't play well, you're going to sit. Yeah. And to that end, like, do you agree with what Columbus is doing? Like, they're sitting line A, they benched Johnny Goudreau the other night, or is this kind of looking like we might see a new coach uh, eventually? Oh, man. Like, another new coach? Like, it's so hard. I I think what's more likely to happen... This wasn't the coach they picked. It's not. So it's true. It's a, it's but they put themselves in that position by hiring Mike Babcock <laughs> when I don't think anybody else in the hockey world thought that was a good idea. Hey, uh, had they not hired ba- Mike Babcock last year, we'd be talking Mike Babcock in Edmonton right now. Oh, we totally would. Yeah. Yes. And he'd be like, the answer. Yeah. And I would be like, no, that's a terrible idea. I'd be but saying I would that'd be, be an awesome idea, to be honest. Well, that was a, th- <laughs> there's a segment that we lost because of Columbus. He doesn't coach again this year, right? Eh? Ever? Probably never. Is it, was it that bad, the photo sharing thing? It was like the last straw. Okay. Right? It's like you had your, you had your second chance. The last and dinosaur roamed. Exactly, okay. yeah. I think, just going back to Columbus, like I think Yarmo Kekalein and the GM, I know he has the support of President John Davidson, but it's like that's the next move, right? Because The next move is Kekalein and out. Out, yeah. Because you have Gaudreau long-term, line A long-term, and it's not working. You can't blame Pascal Vincent, a first-year coach. Yeah. Like, it hasn't been working for a while. So that, I, I feel that's got to be the next move. And that's a team, when I look at the Blue Jackets, they have, fine, they signed Johnny, and maybe that was the wrong signing at the wrong time for a team like that. Because you've got Fantilli, you've got... Uh, Kent Johnson, mm-hmm. not Ken, right? Kent. Kent. You got Kent Johnson. You've got David Yurichek. You, you probably, I'm probably forgetting a couple of their yeah. top. But they didn't prospects. have any of those guys when they signed Goudreau. No, but you were a team that was going to be getting top picks. I don't think they signed Goudreau thinking. See, I think they Stanley thought that they could. Contender. I think they thought they they could take the next step. Really? Yeah, I'm not saying they were right. 
But like you had Zach Wierenski, you know, you had Boone Jenner. Like it felt like they they needed to go up because they did have a little bit of playoff success. Okay. Granted, it was a few years ago now. Um, a lot of those guys are gone. A lot of those guys are gone. But I think they felt like they had to make a move, so they weren't always just that sort of lower rung team. Okay, so it just it didn't work out. So in a couple of years, when we're talking about Juracek and uh, Fantilli. And Johnson are no longer just young guys. Mm-hmm. They're more more established. The core guys. Yeah, uh, they're impact players. Is the Goudreau signing looking a little better at that time? I guess it depends on how Goudreau's playing, right? Like, is he back to being an 80, 90 point guy, or is he just like a massive drag on their salary cap? Ouch. Right? It's tough. Yeah. All right. So, uh, we're going to talk some American Thanksgiving now. Real quickly. There are no games tonight in the <laughs> NHL, and there are no games on Thursday. Um, what are your thoughts on this? Because... I don't like it. <laughs> yeah, like American Thanksgiving, it's a big deal. I'm not sure how much of it is because of that. I think there's some weird scheduling things because you have four teams coming back from Sweden, and obviously they're not going to play tonight. But it feels like something should have been done, at least to have a couple of Canadian teams play. Hundred percent. Like it's not like sports just stops on American Thanksgiving. It, right. This is just an example of the U.S. T- or the NHL taking a backseat because of uh, a U.S. holiday, and everyone wants to watch college football and yeah. bowl games, right? Well, more so NFL football because they always have those Thursday day games where we watch the Detroit Lions lose to whoever <laughs> they put them against that particular year. Yeah, this, there should be hockey. That's like there, my there American Thanksgiving tradition. Game. There should be exactly, yeah. No, I, I don't like this. I don't like any you know, time during the season when there's like, a, like no hockey. Maybe on Christmas Day, fine. Sure, sure. Um, but yeah, it, it, it really is weird. I think the Global Series really kind of threw a wrench into things where you know, Toronto comes back from Sweden and they don't play again until... I think Friday night. Mm. Um, that's a that's a long layoff. There was a long layoff when they went to Sweden and they didn't yep. play a game. So it's just I don't get the schedule. I think uh, I know this isn't the greatest time for um, filling arenas yeah. in in the U.S. because yeah. you know you got football in the full swing. Um, usually, hockey fans don't start really turning out in the U.S. and some of the markets at least yeah. until after football's done. Yeah, but it's just you know. We need hockey every night. We gotta have something. Yeah, you don't have to have like a full slate, but at least one game. Yeah, yeah, that's all. That's all we're asking for. Just one game. Yeah. All right. Sticking with the American Thanksgiving theme, uh, one thing that a lot of us in the media have talked about over the years is that concept that if you're in a playoff spot by American Thanksgiving, you're in good shape. If you're not, you're probably in trouble. Yeah. So with that in mind. I want to give some bulletin board material okay. for those teams. The teams that can say, nobody believed in us. Those jerks at the hockey news said we were <laughs> dead in the water. But here we are, Stanley Cup champions, six months later. Um, so of the teams that are at the bottom of the standings right now, who are you willing to write off? We can, we can go one for one here if you want. Oh, boy. Okay, so want to get the easy ones out of the way? We'll start, yeah. We'll start okay. with the easy ones, and then let's San, see how... San, San Jose. Let's see how daring we get as we go. San Jose, you're not making the playoffs. No. Chicago, you're not making the playoffs. No. Let's, Columbus, you're not making the playoffs. No. Montreal, 
Sorry. I agree. Okay, now we're getting into the nitty-gritty. Edmonton. Edmonton's the big one. They make the playoffs. You think they make the playoffs? Yeah. I, I feel... I'm, you know what's funny? It's like we're going to be back on Saturday mm-hmm. for another broadcast. In that time span, Edmonton is on the road. They play Carolina and they play Washington. If they lose both those games, I say it's done. Like, it's over. Also because it, it does feel like McDavid's even more banged up than he was before. Yeah. You know, he had that penalty shot. Uh, sliding into the... Sliding into the boards. It didn't look good. Did not look good. So they are currently at 11 points. A 324 points percentage right now. <laughs> uh, and it's like they're, they're four and six in the last 10. So I, I say if they lose those two games, I'm saying they're done. I'm willing, to, I'm willing to, that's my bullet board material, is if they lose both those games, season's over. If they lose those two games, then it's a four-game losing streak. Yeah. Um, I, I think, what are they, like two, they'd be two, four, and oh, since making the uh, coaching changes? Something yeah. like that? Yeah. Yeah, it's a difficult one, because they got McDavid and Dreisaitl playing together, which is always a signal of desperate times. <laughs> right. Um, as much as we love seeing, like, two of the arguably best players in the league, uh, playing a line together, it, it's usually bad news for the Oilers because it just means that, like, oh, boy, nothing's working. Yeah. They don't have balance in the lineup. Right. they got to put the two superstars together. But more than that, it's just, I don't know if you saw the game uh, last night. It, it, the goals were just going right through the goalie. And it was uh, Cal Pickard playing. Yeah. And, and all of them were just awful. The defensive breakdowns were just uh, so brutal. It's not even a personnel thing where you're going, okay, well, they just need to make a trade. I don't know what's happening in that dressing room, but they they just look broken right now. Yeah. Um, what, what would you do if you're the Edmonton Oilers? Like, how do you get out of this mess aside from just being like, okay, McDavid and Drysdale, just keep rolling them out? Yeah, I, I think it has to be some kind of like massive trade where, you know, I, I know I've talked about Evander Kane in the past. I know Ryan Nugent Hopkins, people have mentioned him. You know, a player that is very good in their own rights and, and maybe gets a little buried, you know, behind McDavid and Dreisel, although the Nuge had over 100 points last year. Mm-hmm. Um, but it feels like it has to be something drastic because you already made the coaching change. Yeah. So you've used that bullet. So the only thing left at this point is like massive. Maybe it's even a multiplayer blockbuster. We haven't seen that in ever. Yeah, and those are fun. They're they're really good. I love when those kind of like culture changing. Yeah, yeah, complete like the last one I remember was like the one that the Leafs pulled off when they got Dion Phaneuf. And again, you, you you made a trade because you're like. And Brian Burke's like, I need a guy that can yeah. just shake things up. Yeah. So maybe they need a guy who can shake things up. And they're like, I'm thinking, like, why didn't they go hard after, like, a Ryan O'Reilly in the I summer? I was just thinking, as soon as you started saying about a guy, I was Ryan O'Reilly was the name that came to mind. Yeah, like, is that a possibility? Like, you're in Nashville. Do you need an O'Reilly right now? The only reason you have him is, I remember talking to Barry Trotz in the summer for a story for the yearbook, and he's like, yeah, we got O'Reilly, we got Shen, because we're not just going to 
cake. We're not just going for draft lottery picks right now. Right. We're probably going to end up there, but we just want to. We don't want to fold. Same thing with Philly. Like right. the, the whole stuff that you talked with Danny Vieira about. Yeah. They don't want to be that team that's just kind of like, okay, well, when we want to be good, we're just going to flip the switch. It doesn't work that way, right? Yeah, yeah. So they got the O'Reilly to kind of stay competitive. I wonder if, like, if you're in Nashville, yeah, would you take a Nuge for O'Reilly? And it's a center for center. Yep. Um, for Nashville, you get a guy who's a little younger. For sure. And your young guys can still learn from. Mm-hmm. I think they'd love that. Maybe you, if you're in Nashville, you probably have to toss in more. Maybe, but, I mean, Edmonton's desperate right like now. Like, O'Reilly and Shen <laughs> for a Nuge. Ooh. Like, those are the kind of moves where you get a guy who... Shen knows his role. Totally. You've got a Shen now. You've got a Matthias Ekholm on your back end. Yep. Th- those are the kind of guys that if I'm Edmonton, I'm Ken Holland, I'm like, okay, who can Bouchard learn from? Right. Who can uh, Broberg learn from? Th- that's my perfect kind of prototype. We just there. need steady. Yeah. Yeah, we just need to settle down. And Shen and O'Reilly can and, just and o- settle. And O'Reilly's down. just, he's not going to go in there shouting at guys, but all he's just going to be is... You know, lead sort of by example, totally. maybe calm the waters a bit. Yeah. And again, for a team that is just defensively a mess, like you saw some of those goals, and it's like yeah. guys were just planted in the ice, not moving around, not knowing where they should be, looking completely lost out there. And I felt for Pickard because he's also looking around, going, "Okay, I left in a softy, but why? Why are <laughs> but come you? Come on! <laughs> why is there even a shot coming right now? Right, right. So." Fair enough. But I'm not ready to write off the Edmonton Oilers. And same right. thing with the Minnesota Wild, to that extent. I, I know they're ah, kind of okay. uh, down at the bottom of the standings right now. I'm willing to write off Minnesota. Okay. Because I don't think, other than Kaprizov and Boldy, like, I don't think they have enough high-end talent to like really start putting together. Like Because they would have to put together well, what, what a big What happened with that team then? I just don't get it. That's just what they are. <laughs> a boring team. They're just, <laughs> like, they're, that's a team that's, like, just kind of caught in that mushy middle, right? True. Uh, Buffalo, what do you think? Have you given up on Buffalo, or do you still have faith in Buffalo? I still have faith in Buffalo. Up, up Ot- the Sabres? Ottawa, Ottawa, no. Really? See, yeah. Ottawa's got three games in hand on Buffalo. I just, something's, something's not working in Ottawa. Mm. Um, I can see Buffalo, especially once Tage gets back. Yeah. Like, what is he out? Another, like, four or five weeks or something like that's, that. That's a lot. Yeah. But they, they've got the other guys there. They've got, you know, Tuck shouldn't be able to score. Um... I just don't think they have the goaltending yet. No. That's my big fear. That was the big X factor for me coming into the season, and I, it always made me leery. As exciting as Devin Levi was at the end of last year, True. like what, if, what happens when NHL shooters get a book on this kid? Yeah. No, I, I don't disagree. I just think there's that potential there where Levi can... You know, I, I still think he's going to be an upper echelon goalie. Yeah. So when you've got a guy like that, it, it's hard to write him off, especially you've got the pieces in front of him now, finally. Mm-hmm. Um, I, my, just, my I have a spot for Buffalo. I don't know why, yeah. what it is about them. I just like their makeup. I like how they're built. I want them to do well because like, I want that playoff drought to end for Sabres fans. Yeah. And I want them to be too. rewarded for having awesome young players. I just think that, like, I think Devin Levi could be a good NHL goaltender, but expecting him to be one right away is a problem. Oh, or could it's, it's definitely an issue that they should have addressed in the summer. Yeah. Every but summer, basically. Every summer, yeah. yeah. All right, speaking of young players, we're going to go to our upper deck 
Young Gun of the Week, and we're going to stick in the uh, Atlantic Division. Matthew Nyes from the Toronto Maple Leafs, starting to put up some points. Uh, had a bit of a slow start, but sort of found his role with the Leafs. And uh, Mike, you were saying something interesting from our Collectibles team site editor, yeah. Mike DiStefano. Yeah, so, uh, so we got the Series 1 upper deck uh, mm -hmm. pack here. And Matthew Nyes was, you know, aside from that Connor Bedard kind of secret card uh -huh. that they never really kind of publicized, but mm -hmm. that's obviously a sought-after card. Yeah. But the Matthew Nyes uh, cards, if we find it in here, um, yeah. apparently it's going for big bucks. This is, this is the biggest card, apparently, in, the, in this series. In the series. Well, let's crack some open and, like, see if we actually get a Matthew Nyes card. But, I mean, this is an interesting player because I really liked what he did for the Leafs at the end of last year. You know, coming out of the University of Minnesota, getting to the lineup right away. Obviously, you know, he got hurt in the playoffs, but... Taylor Radish. The time he was playing... Wah, wah. I got Adam Fox. That's a pretty good one. That is a good one. Dylan Cousins, speaking of the Sabres. Cock and Yemi. Yeah, Gooley. I remember you and I were talking when... Uh, coming into uh, the playoffs and uh, just kind of expectations. And I was like, yeah, what kind of player do we expect... Uh, uh, nice to be and I yeah. think I threw out the Alex Tuck comparison and I don't know if you really saw that uh, if you agreed with me at the time but you know he's playing on the top line right now with Matthews and yeah. Marner so he should be in a great spot to just he put is. up a ton of points and what I like about Matthew Nyes is yeah he's in a great spot to put up points but if, if he's the third guy on that line that is doing the dirty work in the corners he is a big body he can play a good north-south game even if he's not actually getting points, he can, he can do the stuff on that line that they need. So I think that makes him pretty effective. It's a very shiny Kirill Kaprizov there we go. card. We were just talking about him. Henry Thrun, young gun. Mort Sider, Tanner Janelle. Jeremy Swayman, that's a good one. I got nothing here. I got Matthew got Boldy. Matthew Boldy? Yeah. We're getting all the good Minnesota players, which is to say both of them. I got two Stamkoses here. I got a... Two Stamkoses? Yeah. I've got a regular Stamkos, and then I've got this one where it's like a, a checklist card where you've got Stamkos oh, you and go. McDavid. Stamkos, we were talking about Nylander and his contract situation. Mm. Stamkos is another one that's going to be interesting. Obviously, he's a UFA at the end of the year. Yep. Um, wants to stay in Tampa. Obviously, he's going to have to take a, a pay cut from the $8.5 he made this year. 34 years old. I think he'll be 35 when he signs his new deal. That one is tough because... It seems, at least early on, there has been a lot of friction in terms of getting it done. Yeah. If you're Tampa Bay, I mean, you're still a very good team. You could still do a lot of damage in the playoffs based on, you know, you're going to have Vasilevsky back, obviously, and he'll be fresher than usual because of the injury. Um, you've got Victor Hedman on the back end. But, like, how long is the runway with this particular crew? Like, if, and how long does Stamkos want in terms of term? Well, there's two ways to do it. Like, like the one way is Pittsburgh, where you never want to break up that core, <laughs> right, to the bitter end, right. And then you've got like the Chicago sort of model, yeah, where every year like a piece kind of went out the door, yeah. and they kind of highlighted their Kucherov, two guys. Another good go. Tampa Bay guy. So Kucherov is a guy that I definitely keep around. Um, Stamkos is, you know, unless he's willing to take six or under, uh -huh. I don't know if Tampa uh, resigns him. That's fair. It, it's such a Mason cruel. McTavish. It's a cruel business. Simon Edvinson, young gun. Mm -hmm. There's a nice one. Very shiny Brock Nelson. Okay, I, here's the one here. I don't know what this population count one thousand. Travis Konechny. 
having a monster year for the yes. uh, Philadelphia Flyers yes. again. I wouldn't be surprised. I kept saying, I said this earlier, but keep an eye on Konechny. I think he goes somewhere this year. Yeah. I don't know if he remains a flyer. That's intriguing. All right. So that was fun. We got some good ones there. We are going to go now to one of our newest segments, The Best. The and best. Mike, you're in charge of The Best this week. So what do you got for us? Okay. So Santa Claus Parade just happened in Newmarket last weekend. And that is always the kickoff for the Trico's household to get the Christmas lights up and also it's like the first day when we can actually watch Christmas movies. Okay. So we watched Violent Night uh, last weekend. Awesome movie. We watched that last week too. So I'm going with top five movies to watch when the kids are asleep or if you don't have kids. Gotcha. Okay, okay. cool. So Violent Night is number five. Yep. If anyone hasn't seen it, it is completely violent. It, it almost reminds me of Die Hard but with Santa Claus as Brett McLean. Yeah, there's definitely... Or John McLean, sorry. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Not Brett McLean. <laughs> Not former NHL or Brett McLean. Yeah. There are definitely some, like, hat tips to Die Hard throughout the movie, which I, I appreciated, but yeah, very fun. All right, number four, The Night Before Christmas. Uh, Seth Rogen. Oh, yeah. Um, Joseph Gordon-Levitt. Yeah, it, it's kind of like a bromedy. Anthony uh, Mackie. It's a... It's like a bro, yeah. but a comedy. Yeah. Um, basically, it's the night before Christmas. Uh, uh, George, Joseph Gordon Levitt. Levitt's uh, parents are dead, so every year um, him and his buddies hang out. Great, great comedy. I, I think yeah. it's it's raunchy enough. Um, I think Seth Rogen's wife is due. Um, she's gonna be having a baby, so she gifts him just like all the drugs that he wants. Right. Basically, it's like. Heroin, cocaine, <laughs> everything, um, and he takes them all. So it's, it's again, it's not a, it's not a kids movie. Not a kids movie. All right, not number fun. <laughs> number three, Office Christmas Party. Um, oh yeah, I forgot I don't know about if you saw that. that one. I did. Kate uh, McKinnon from yeah. Saturday Night Live yeah. uh, steals the show in that one. Yeah. Um, you've got the guy from Silicon Valley. Right. Um, playing the Chris Farley kind of role. Yeah. Again, it's a pretty good one. Yeah. Uh, Eight Bit Christmas. I don't know if you saw that one. Oh, I don't know if it did. It's got the, I can never think of the actors. I always just name their other roles. Okay. So it's got Doogie Howser. Okay, and yeah. <laughs> and it's basically. Neil Patrick Harris. Yeah, telling the story about how when he was a kid, he wanted a Nintendo for Christmas. Uh. Um, so it's a lot of kind of throwbacks for 40-year-olds, kind of like, hey, I remember wanting a Nintendo for Christmas. <laughs> right. Um, and it's one of those ones where probably a lot of people hadn't seen it. So number one. Um, Harold and Kumar's Christmas. Ah, very good. I think it's Safe Christmas or whatever. Yes. But again, it's got Doogie Howser in it. <laughs> there you go. Uh, great movie. I, I actually, th this has become like the favorite now. That's the standard? Yeah. Nice. Great ensemble cast. Excellent. And it's raunchy as hell. There you go. I, I would say the, the first Harold and Kumar movie was one of the most pleasant surprises. Yeah. Because when you hear the name, you're like, uh, I don't know. It and then you watch like it, and you're too like, dumb, but. It, yeah. And then you watch it, you're like, oh man, this is like for real. And a lot of it was filmed in and around Toronto and Mississauga. Interesting. Yeah. No, so those are my top five. Yeah. Excellent. Kids are asleep. You can put these on. A lot of swearing, a lot of nudity, probably. There you go. Yeah. Excellent. All right, so we're going to go to rapid fire now. And uh, Connor Somerville, our vaunted producer, you are going to throw out the rapid fire questions for us. So what do you got for us, Connor? I am. I'm keeping it hockey themed. This Good stuff. Uh, first question. Austin Matthews was asked where he'd like to see the next Global Series game. Mm. He said Mexico City. So 
Where would you guys like to see the next Global Series game? And which four teams would you like to see involved? Nice. Okay, I'm going to go totally off the board. I'm going to say Tokyo. Tokyo. <laughs> yes, because Japan is pretty awesome and I want to go there. Um, but you could do a good West Coast, like you go Vancouver, LA, uh, probably Seattle, and then maybe like either Anaheim or San Jose, just because then the travel's not horrific. Uh, and obviously, you know, like if you get people that, you know, if you get Japanese tourists, they're more likely to go to the West Coast mm -hmm. of uh, the US or Canada. So a little tie in there. Um, I think that'd be a fun one. You could definitely have some really good off ice things for the players to do. And like the visuals would be great. Uh, and that would be, you know, uh, a market that the NHL probably hasn't really tapped into very much. I'm going to go Germany, uh, Ooh, whether nice. it's in Munich or Berlin. But uh, yeah, like we were talking about the World Cup not having, uh, well, the, the idea for a World Cup not right. having Germany. And, you know, obviously, if I'm going to pick the teams, like, you know, give me Detroit, give me Edmonton, um, Ottawa. Give me Ottawa, yeah. yeah. And uh, where's Thomas Grace playing these days? I don't know, but Phil Grubauer is in Seattle. So. Okay, uh, give me Seattle then. There you go. Yeah, um, yeah, a lot of love for German uh, Germany, and you know that's a nation where we've seen hockey really pick up. Totally. Um, having a global series there, I think, could only enhance that. Nice. All right. Well, you've teed up my qu next question really well. Beauty. What are your thoughts on the reports recently that it'll only be four teams at the next Best on Best tournament? That's a big boo for me. Yeah, it's got to be at down. least six. I would prefer eight, even if one or two of those eight were kind of like funky teams like they did with the World Cup of Hockey. Like if it was the Young Stars or even like maybe not Team Europe, but we were kind of joking around before uh, the show. Like what if you did like a Team Bavaria, which was like Germany, Switzerland, and Austria? Because if you put the three of them together, that would yeah. be pretty hot. And I think that players might like enjoy that better like they'd identify yeah, yeah. team bavaria yeah um, dry saddle roman yossi yeah you know. i'm not a fan of uh, either um of this world cup uh a i don't understand why well fine i understand why you got canada and us and even sweden yeah there but i don't understand why finland's there and maybe not a czech republic is there yeah. or not a germany is there mm. like you could arguably make the case that germany is just as good as finland or the Czech Republic is just as good, and you know we talked about Pasternak before. How can you not? How can you have a World Cup and not have the guy who's second in scoring right now? That's it just cool. doesn't make sense. So, yeah, unless you're gonna get all the nations together and do it proper, especially with Russia, um, mm -hmm. I don't like it. Here's here's my uh, alternative: just do a Canada-U.S. Super Series. Interesting. Yeah. yeah, I wonder. I wonder if that's kind of what they're doing because Sweden and Finland have the same rivalry. So I wonder True. if that's basically what they're doing. I have a conspiracy theory. I think they floated this as a trial balloon. Mm -hmm. I think they leaked it out to certain members of the media to see to see how people reacted. And now they're probably seeing that everybody hates it and they're gonna go back to the drawing board and be like, okay, it's gotta be at least six. Yeah, that's my conspiracy theory. Well, let's take the drawing board from one league and apply it to the NHL. <laughs> the NBA's in-season tournament's in full swing. What are your thoughts on an NHL version of it? So what's happening with the NBA? Mid-season tournament where they all play sort of in like groups mm -hmm. and then somebody eventually, there's, I guess like eventually there's like playoffs 
and somebody wins, and there's a bunch of cash, right? Yes, huge cash prize, either 500,000 or a million, I yeah. think. And all the uh, courts are completely gaudy colors that the players are slipping on. Oh, really? Yes. So I, I still don't understand the point of this, though. <laughs> Nobody really knows, other than it's like a new thing. And they were like, what if we... I, I think it's because the NBA gets criticized for the regular season not mattering. Uh, so they're like, well, let's make it matter. Let's have a little trophy in the middle. Yeah, I don't, I don't think the, the NHL has that sort of problem. Like, obviously, the standings do matter. Like, yeah. we, we saw it last year where, like, the Panthers just made the playoffs in the mm. final... Was it final day of the season? It was, like, basically two days prior. Yeah, so I don't know if we're going to get that same thing. Like, we're talking about games in November mattering a whole lot for the Edmonton Oilers. Exactly. Where you're saying, if they lose these two, they're completely done. Yeah. Um, this is the reverse problem. So yeah. I don't like it. I don't like anything where you really have to explain all the rules and all the machinations to a fan. Right. If it's not just kind of like, hey, we're doing this, and you're like, I get it. This right. Is, you don't need to explain anything further. Yeah. I understand. I'm in. When it's kind of like a World Cup of Hockey where you're like, or an in-season tournament where you're like, okay, here are all the rules, and this is what happens if this happens, and you're just like, okay, you lost me already. Right, it's too much. Okay, I don't like this either, but I will, uh, I will suggest an alternative, and uh, part of it is because I've been watching Welcome to Wrexham finally. Uh, I would like a hockey FA Cup-style tournament where every AHL team, every ECHL team... <laughs> Maybe not junior teams because it's a physical game, but maybe European teams could apply. Definitely. So you could have, like, you know, the Leafs playing for Olinda or, like, Edmonton's playing, like, Ice Baron Berlin, and it's, like, single elimination knockout tournament. PWHL, too? If they want, maybe. Maybe not. If they want to, uh, but they have to get better uniforms. Okay. Um, I want to see that. And I know it's weird because the AHL teams are like the affiliates. So like what, what happens if Washington plays Hershey? That would be weird. Uh, Washington would just be like, we call up all your best players uh, because we own them. <laughs> but I would love somehow for there to be uh, an FA Cup style tournament where literally any team I'm behind can that. apply. I, love, I like that idea. All right, let's do it. That'd be a lot of fun. Yeah. All right. After Jay Woodcroft's firing, who's the next coach or GM on the hot seat? I'm going Yarmo, 100% in Columbus. That's my answer. Ooh. Yeah. Oh, I don't know. I think DJ Smith is still on the hot seat yeah. uh, for me. I think if Ottawa, and, you know, they've won three straight. They're the only non-playoff team in the East that has a positive goal differential right mm. now. I think they're a plus eight. I still think he's on the hot seat. I think uh, with a new owner there, there's a lot of expectation that this is the year for the Ottawa Senators, further to what you were talking about earlier. Mm. I think uh, them and the Sabres are on a ton of pressure. But, yeah, if, if DJ Smith has a, a, a bump in the road either later this month or in December, I could see the Ottawa Senators making a move. Mm. All right. All right, final question, non-hockey-related. What was the favorite interview you've ever done? Not hockey related? Could be hockey related. <laughs> any sport, anything. Because right. I know uh, Mr. Trakos has covered more than hockey, so. Oh, that's true. Okay, I'll start off then. Uh, one of my favorites, like I interviewed Ric Flair once, which was really fun. Cool. Um, my favorite interview was I got to drive around the Toronto Indy track with Paul Tracy wow. while he was driving my car. Interesting. And at the time, I was driving a 1980, I think a 1993 Toyota Corolla, <laughs> and all he kept complaining about was how like 
poorly I treated the car. Like I hadn't got the brakes done in a while. Right. And it was just kind of shifting all over the place and it made a lot of noise. It yeah. was dirty. Uh, we had a great interview there, and it was one of those experiences that you're like, yeah. And he's like, are we driving it around in the pace car? And like, no, no, here's my ride. <laughs> nice. Right on. Um, I have like two because they're kind of different. One is I interviewed little John uh, for the Hockey News because he was an Atlanta Thrashers fan. Yeah. Yeah, so he <laughs> called my house, right? Like little John called my house, so that was a tremendous thrill for me. But the other one that I think about that's non-hockey is before – as of the hockey news and I was just freelancing, I did an article uh, for a newspaper, the Globe and Mail, about the malice at the palace, uh, sort of the fallout for that. So I interviewed a couple of guys that were on the Toronto Raptors at the time, just about, and this is sort of tangential, about like how they were the first generation of NBA players that had grown up with hip hop mm. as a culture. And it was sort of an offshoot of this. So I got to interview Jalen Rose and Ray Alston. Cool. And both of them were really cool to talk to and like had very interesting things to say about how hip-hop influences basketball culture and, and vice versa. Uh, so for non-hockey division, I'll go with that one. Skip to Malou. That's right. Excellent. There you go. Well, That's rapid fire. That's rapid fire. Connor, thank you so much for that. Thank you to both Upper Deck and BetMGM for being awesome partners and sponsors for us. This has been the pregame show of the Hockey News. I'm Ryan Kennedy. That's Mike Trakos. We will see you again soon.